ManaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. Hey everybody, Brian David Marshall here with Magic the Gathering Hall of Famer Z Moshowitz for another episode of Top 8 Magic. Z, how are you doing? I'm, I'm now the companion. I always start this podcast. <laughs> um, so we had some news today. Uh, you know, Wizards of the Coast had announced that they were going to be making a banning announcement today. And they, they did, in fact, make some changes. There were some cards banned in Brawl. Uh, Luris was banned in Legacy and Vintage. And Zerda was also banned in Legacy. Why was Zerda banned? I didn't even catch that. And Monolith. Uh, yeah, okay, that makes total sense. Yeah, I, I'll give everybody a second to think about what happens to Grim Monolith when you have reduced, activation costs reduced by two. But, okay, are we done? Right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> basically, it turns out that half your combo starting in your hand every game is a problem. Um, so I, I found Wizards... Justification for Zerta very interesting and very good, which was there weren't that many Zerta decks, but we saw the data and how often they won, and we're very, very confident that if we got rid of Luris, Zerta would just curb stomp everything left. Not quite their word, but what they meant. Yeah. yeah. And it makes sense, right? Next man up, next companion up was clearly Zerta, so it, Zerta had to go. And I'm very curious about vintage right whether Zerda has to go I mean Grim Monolith I believe is restricted so it's not gonna be that easy but it's still a free card that like it's very hard to not be allowed to play Zerda in vintage right you kind of have to try right in a lot of these decks like each like all your you can play your Moxes you can play your Lotus you can play your Sol Ring so what are the cards that are stopping you from playing Zerda right you just have to not play like your monastery mentors? <laughs> yeah, I let's see. You might want Yorian instead, but that but Yorian is is at its weakest in vintage because you want to draw your restricted cards. <laughs> we finally uh, found a format that Yorian's not busted in. I didn't say that. <laughs> it's at its weakest, right? Um, it might not be. We will see. But no, no, Yorian has not been doing much as far as I can tell in legacy or vintage, precisely because people have too many things to do. Right? In modern, it's very good uh, because there's a lot of very good coming to play effects. In standard, it's ridiculous, even if it's not necessarily you know, broken, broken. Uh, but, and in Pioneer, I don't know enough details. I know exactly which companions are going nuts right now. I just know that every deck just has an additional word in its name now. Right, right. Yeah, we, we, we've seen a lot of these decks. Now, the thing that was sort of absent, I think, from this, and, and a lot of people were wondering, uh, would there be some type of action taken in standard regarding companions? Because so, they, have, they have sort of dominated the format in terms of just, even if they're not always winning or there's not a ubiquitous build of a particular companion deck, there is this element of sitting down to play a game of magic and not knowing what your opponent's playing that is now kind of gone 
Well, that's not necessarily true, right? When they play Luris, they could be playing the cycling deck that always does the same thing, or the cat oven deck that always does the same thing. <laughs> if they're playing Obosh, they could be playing the black deck that always does the same thing, or the red deck that always does the same thing. If they're playing Yorian, they could be playing several builds, right? At least Bant and Luca are legitimate contenders. So clearly, have, enough you, seen, have you seen Yorian mono red? Seen who in mono red? Have you seen the Yorian mono red deck? I have not seen the Yorian mono red deck. That does not sound like a good idea. But <laughs> so, so the deck basically starts with a Yorian in play, right? Or in, you know, a Yorian in your companion zone, an eighty card deck. It has no sideboard. Okay, it has so it's an eighty one card deck essentially. Uh, and then you start to play, and your opponent makes a bad mulligan <laughs> decision against you. Because they see an 80-card Yorian deck. <laughs> and then for games two and three, you go down to a 66-card tight deck. Sideboard <laughs> <laughs> the Yorian out. Yeah. Um, yes. I love so it in con- I love it in theory. The problem with it is you just don't mulligan that much in this format. Is my experience. Like even though you yeah. can. You either mulligan very little or you mulligan because your deck doesn't do its thing, right? Even if even knowing what you're up against doesn't actually change your decisions as much as you might think it does. It changes your sideboarding decisions a lot. Like if you could sideboard before game one, it would be radically, radically good to do this. Right. Because their deck would be set up completely wrong. But that's not how it works. Um, so, yeah, I think that Luca, as far as I can tell, is the best deck. Luca, Luca Yorian. Um, and then people play a variety of things because not everybody wants to be, you know, playing Agent of Treachery every game all the time, necessarily. Now, and let me, let me ask you a question about that deck because obviously Yorian is something that makes that deck really operate smoothly. Could is, is that a deck that could just exist in standard as a 60 card deck without Yorian or? If for some reason you decide that Yorian's just, hey, great value when I play a Yorian, um, you know, play one or two Yorians. Is that is that something or is that something that somehow is unlocked by being able to have 80 cards in your deck? The deck would exist anyway. It's okay. actually kind of like it's an advantage to play more cards because you can seed the cards for Luca to get into your deck, like the Agent of Treachery, without drawing them too often, which this deck does not want to do. Its mana sources are lacking. Right? Wow. It often won't get, it won't get to seven before the end of the game that often. Uh, and Yorian itself is very important to making this deck actually win. Like, sort of, the idea is you take your Luka turn, and then next turn you can play Yorian. And because you can play Yorian next turn, they are in a bind where they always lose the game. Right? You just, you get all of your fuel, and the game ends. You take so many permanents. Whereas if you didn't have that, there'd be a serious danger, I think, of I get an agent of treachery. I get another agent of treachery. Or maybe I don't even get another agent of treachery. And then I just, all I did was steal a few permanents. I'm not in any particular immediate danger. And I recover. Right? Yorian means I can start stealing their lands and then put them away. In a way, their deck is not built to do otherwise. So I think that that deck actually cares significantly about having Yorian. But it's still a very good deck. Like, I 
put Luca as my number one card in the set, imagining a non-companion world. Right, right. Precisely because I thought you could go straight up to seven or eight for some monster. I wasn't sure if it was going to be Age of Treachery or a giant green thing. I wasn't sure. I didn't think about using zero drops as my primary mode. I was going to use two drops to sack. But using tokens makes a lot more sense now that I've seen it in action. Right. I think this world is a definite improvement. But I think Luca is a problem. I'm not saying that it's time to take action against Luca. It's not. But right. it, I knew a moment, the moment you see it, it's a five mana big creature of your choice. And yes, you have to do some work, but you know, this will end well, right? But, and, and it's work that people have done in the past, right? It's not like you have to reinvent the template. Right, yeah, you, you have you have models that you can look at from past decks, past formats where polymorph effects have been legal, where you can do this kind of thing. Right, you have to generate the token. You can't right. play any creatures other than your target. And I was thinking, well, you actually can. I can play a lot of two drops because they accelerate me towards my Luca and then sacrifice one of them. And I still think that's an under-tested strategy. I haven't seen people trying it, but. Given what's out there is so powerful, I don't think you can. Right. I think it's just dominated. But in a 60-card world, maybe that's actually the strategy. That deck also has a much better Luka in play if, for some reason, something to sacrifice. Right? Plusing that Luka is actually very good. Which is something that this deck like just gives up on the plus one ability on Luka, even though it's actually pretty solid if you have a bunch of creatures in your deck, right? Like, as a normal Planeswalker, like, plus one for, look at three cards, keep all the creatures for as long as you have a Luka pretty sweet yeah i mean it's not as good as nissa but like it's pretty sweet so you know we've got a lot of things to toy with i'm excited to build decks in the post companion world but we're not in it right so uh let's let's take that section of the banned and restricted announcement and talk about that for a second because what ian said at the i think was the most interesting part of the banned and restricted list announcement uh, under other formats, they said, we are aware of some players' concerns about the frequency at which they encounter companion decks. We're currently not seeing prob problematic win rates in standard, pioneer, or modern. Looking at overall metagame share and potential for repetitive gameplay. And then this is the key sentence. If we see signs of long-term health issues resulting from high metagame share of companion decks, we are willing to take steps up to or including changing how the companion mechanic works. Yes. I want to say this was a best-case scenario announcement because as much as people might have wanted bans in Standard, they didn't even announce a ban-restricted day for Standard or Modern. They specifically said it was for other formats. So we knew they weren't touching the formats that we play a lot. Let's face it, right? The formats that the common man plays were going to be left alone. We knew this. But right. they have opened the door to banning companions. And by banning companions, we mean changing the mechanic to either, you know, not, working, not work in tournament play or work at a very reduced power level. Right. Depending, depending on what is necessary. And the question is, what would be the sign, right? Like, as wizards, you have a problem right now, which is the world just transformed itself at the same time this mechanic deployed, right? 
thanks to the pandemic, the game stores are all closed. You can't track right. FNM at all. Right. You can only right. track your online play. And I don't know how easy it is to interpret that data in a world where there's this other thing driving all of people's behavior. Right? Do you say, well, if play is down, it was companions? There's so many. <laughs> be any, it would be the world transformed itself. It could be your set was bad in other ways. Your format's bad in other ways. It could be there's like five things driving sales and play up and five things driving it down and the pain is one of them, but you don't know which side it's on. Right? Like, I, I don't know how wizards evaluate this. Right. I can think of various clever hacks to the data that I would try to use if I was internal, but this seems really hard because like what they're saying is they're not seeing problematic win rates for companions, but when companions are, most people just assume that you have mostly have to play one and therefore build other decks with a companion. What were you expecting to see in the win rate, right? The, <laughs> right. Cause, cause all the non-companion decks at this point are, take down the people playing companions built to take down the companions in some sense, right? They know they're living in a companion world. And if it was anything else that was like, well, 75% of the metagame, but the 25% wins half its matches against it. So it's fine. We would be laughing about this, but because it's actually a very large set of different decks, right? It's not necessarily bad. If companions, because they have to watch each other, are you know seventy five percent of the field, it's a question of is this the way we want magic to exist? You know, are magic players going to like the new world of all companions enough that we should abide it? Becomes the question, and it's really hard, I think, from Wizards' perspective, to tell the answer to that. Like you can ask people, but they don't like to do that because magic players are not necessarily people who know what they think in some important sense. Right. Yeah, it's been interesting. I, I've definitely seen like this move toward, I mean, and this is something you did as well, right? This move towards like, oh, okay, well, if people are going to play these companion decks that are generally uh, a little slower than, you know, you're going to play this Yorian deck that has a little bit, although, I mean, not from my, my opponent always has whatever card they need, right? They always have the essence scatter or the, you know, third shatter the sky or whatever. But, you know, the, the card availability should be a little more spread out for them. And, and, you know, they're doing these things on turn four, turn five, turn six, that you want to think that you could be able to get under those decks, right? And that's, I would assume, is if you're not playing a companion deck, you're going to be playing something that is, you know, monocolored or close to monocolored and very, very aggressive. Well, the other thing is that the, the bulk of the successful non-companion decks have been Wilderness Reclamation decks. Or, or Wilderness Reclamation. <laughs> so, essentially, Wilderness Reclamation decks are saying, my deck is super powerful and is so efficient that if I do my thing, the fact that you never run out of cards is completely irrelevant. I don't care that you have plenty of cards. I'm going to win. And so that deck has managed to survive and do reasonably well. There's been some attempts to do monocolor decks. I don't think that most of them have gone very well. Um, I think that green is starting to make itself felt. I think that people didn't understand how to build it. 
And in a world in which it obviously couldn't play a companion, who wanted it? Right? right. Why would you play this deck suddenly that's down a card in the new, more powerful world? And the answer turns out to be it is a very powerful deck that actually has some new tools. Gem Razor, uh, Ram Through, both very good. Enable you for different, enables different play patterns, and you just go under Yorian pretty well, and you have some tools. But again, we'll see if that deck turns out to be tier one. But I don't think that's the problem, right? The problem is not the power level of companion decks versus non-companion decks. The problem is most non-companion decks are so uncompetitive they don't get played anymore. And so you're left with a world in which most people are playing companions. And most types of format and magic, you can't play. Oh, the other deck is Winona, Joiner of Forces. Right. So it's Bully Proclamation, Winona, Joiner of Forces, and Green, I think, are the realistic uh, no companion decks. I think that every other non companion deck is fooling itself. Right. That I see. And, and then the, and the other aggro decks all are able to, by nature of starting with one drops, seem to be able to get to an Obosh build, right? Like the mono black deck gets to Obosh. The mono red deck, now I'm seeing a lot of mono red with Obosh. Yeah, uh, Obosh is a very good card for a properly built red or black deck. And so it's not just up a card. They want Obosh. Now you have a five drop in your deck and you still have nothing but ones and threes. Right. Your mana curve is so low, and you play the Heraldic Banner red, basically, is the way it's built. So, essentially, all the other aggro decks are just like, I'm going to play Luris or Abosh. Right. And those cards are both very, very good. Luris, by the way, I hate Luris in a way that I don't hate the other companions. I hate the other companions in theory, right? I, I hate the idea of playing the game this way. Right. I hate playing it's the same strategies over and over again. I hate the warping they do to what people are choosing to do. Lurus, I just hate the game so much. Right. Because it's just, this person just starts looping the same thing over and over again all the time. They're not even allowed to play a different thing. And then they'll just like, sometimes it'll just, you know, you'll delude this series of one drops that nothing can ever die if Lurus somehow survives or is brought back. And you happen not to have an answer to Lurus, the game just becomes miserable. And if you do, then you you spent a card you specifically made sure you had to get rid of the card they got for free. And it's just, and they probably got value with it too if they waited till turn four or five to use it. And it just all feels so miserable. And like playing against Cycling Deck is not fun. Playing against the like Savage Scorpion Lurus decks, not fun either. Right. Like, that's just not how I want to play. I don't want to play... My opponent is recurring a Savage Scorpion every turn with his Lurus. And his... Which is of it. And now that's a seven-point life swing and a blocker. Right. Like, this is not... This is not This is not fun for me. Like, they're... You're, you're discouraging anybody from playing normal magic. You're forcing people to just play a buttload of over-the-top and sweeper. And, like, just... I just don't like it. And I'm not saying you should specifically ban Loris. It's not even the best act. You just make things work in some sense. But I have found myself really not wanting to play very much magic in Disrupted right now compared to what I would normally want to in a lockdown situation. Relatively new format, yeah, with, with time right. to play magic. 
funny time to play Magic. A computer in front of me, you know, a complete set of rares from drafting a broken deck, which we talked about on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, so... By the way, I, think- I was still able to... Uh, doing a one of the, the three-round, like, traditional drafts, still able to draft a deck with two Fervent Foxes, two Zenith Flares, you know, 18 to 20 cycling cards, and none of the key pieces of the deck were first picks. Yeah, and I, I don't understand what's happening. I think what's happening is people have learned cycling one is busted and are taking cycling one cards, and that is making the deck substantially harder to get very good versions of. But they're still not treating the cycling enablers, the payoff cards, like their goal. And they so are. You, th- you think people are taking cycling one over cycling payoff cards? I don't think I go that far, but they're taking cycling one cards for other decks very aggressively. Right. Or, oh, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, in fact, I think there's an interesting discussion to be had about what the right land count is right now for a non cycling, you know, not, you know, not like completely based around cycling but a fair amount of cycling draft deck right like i think the numbers have have changed right you know you're obviously not doing the 12 and 13 but there's some point where it's correct to be 14 or 15 even in a deck maybe that's playing a more traditional game i think that's right but i think you have to be very very careful about looking at your exact deck yes it's really hard (laughs) i really like to look at my deck and figure out you know do i want to be cycling my cycling cards or is that I can cycle my cycling cards? How often am I going to want to cycle these? Do I have early turns where I want to be cycling them? Or do I want to be curving out and then have them in hand to choose later whether to cycle them or not? Or emergency cycle them? Or what am I doing? Yeah, you have to think. And I like that. Look, I, I think the draft format is very good, except that the companion mechanic exists. And occasionally a game is dumb. Yeah. Well, let's go, let's go back to the companion mechanic because the thing that I thought was interesting, again, in that note from Wizards was this idea that they're willing to think about changing how the companion mechanic works. And I, I kind of wanted to just do a little bit of what, what does that mean, right? What, what is the outcome there that we might see? Let's just say two months from now, you know, or even a month from now, you know, companions are everywhere, and Wizards is like, yeah, we made a mistake. People getting to start with eight cards in their hand while some percentage of the field doesn't start with eight cards in their hand is just not fair. And yeah. we need to change the way companions work. What yeah, is my, yeah. a reasonable way to change them? Yeah, my sense is that they, they are aware they made a mistake, but Magic is full of mistakes. Every set has 10 mistakes in it. Many sets have, like, from some perspective, 50 or more because magic is hard and you mess up and you just live with it. But this might not be, but the question is, is this something we can live with or is this a mistake that has to be fixed? And so the question is, if we have to fix it, what do we do? So obvious possibilities, possibility, obvious possibility one is companions can't use the sideboard. You can't be in the sideboard. That doesn't count. So in constructed tournament play in competitive formats, companion mechanic doesn't work at all. Right, Luris, on your casual game board is whatever your group wants it to be. But the same way that Living Wish is anything you want it to be, right, in a ordinary friendly game, right? right? You don't bring a 15-card sideboard unless that's what your group decided. You could say, well, companions are the same thing. Companions don't really work in Constructed, but 
You still now, see can I, in, under that scenario, can I play Luris in my deck? Absolutely. Luris is still a card. Right. It's legal and which, destructed. Which, by the way, just to take a moment, is really weird to me about the vintage and legacy bannings. Is that, you know, it's just like, yeah, this card, these cards are just banned. As opposed to saying banned as a companion, which I guess is just too, too uh, ticky-tack for them to do. I yeah, I, I, agree, I agree with the decision that saying Luris cannot be your companion is just lame. Okay. If Luris is good, you can ban Luris. Right. Like, I, and then if you go back later on and you do something where companions can't be in your sideboard or that there's no companion zone in tournament play or whatever you want to call it, right? Uh, then you revisit whether or not those cards are completely banned. Yeah, you would unban Luris and Zerda if they couldn't be companions, because they're not problematic cards, they're not companions, they're just cards. Right. Like they're not, you know, Luris is potentially an interesting thing to try and do in the Digeni way, if you let someone, but it's not more broken than this ridiculously other things that are happening in vintage. Like it's a fairly fine. Right. Right. Probably not good. So yes, that would be, that's the first thing I would go to, right? I would consider, what if we just said this doesn't work when the chips are down? I think that's a very reasonable thing to say, right? Maybe it's legal in Brawl. It's legal, you know, where you don't really have a sideboard. It's legal in, you know, other such things, but you can't just do this. Um, like, it's interesting that it's legal in Best of One, right? Where is your <laughs> But, I mean, yeah. Mastermind Acquisition is also, right. you know, right. legal in Best of One. So they have the idea that you have a virtual sideboard. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, you just say the sideboard doesn't do that anymore. You could also sure. say we're changing, like Matt Sperling suggested, what if we just changed the rule that your sideboard was just not accessible at all, right? You didn't change the companion rule. You changed the rules of tournament play. So now Faye of Wishes also doesn't work, right? You just say nothing works. If it's outside, it starts the game outside the game, it's not yours. You can only get back cards that you've lost with right. such mechanics. So, right. So, sideboards are only viable for... In go doing in between games one and two or two and three, yeah, yeah. Which is which? Which effects stop working? You just can't do that. And I am sympathetic, right? I understand they are fun and interesting, and I do kind of like gameplay often. But I also I'm ready to let the, I'm ready to pay that price, right? To be consistent in some sense. But that's another possibility. Um, possibility three is you don't get a free card. This is this was my suggestion, and I and other people have suggested this as well, but it certainly seems reasonable to me that if you're going to play with a companion, that the, the big, aside from whatever is going on in terms of just like, it's boring to play against a lot of the same decks, it's also boring to play against those decks down a card, right? That's, it's just such a huge penalty for not playing a companion. Well, Yorian in particular, it's so obnoxious because you, like Yorian and Luris both say to themselves, you're, you're down like a card plus in some important right. sense. Like you're just so right. buried already. And so, yeah, there's various versions of this. We could, we could, you know, brainstorm various ways to do this. So version one is obviously you have to mulligan and you have to, you're, you have, you're forced to mulligan if you play a companion, right? So, so you like, draw seven, you, you put one card on the bottom, autom minimum. Right, and if you mulligan once, you now put two back, right. right? You always, always are one card behind where you would have been. 
And so you have a lot, it's still a huge advantage, right? To take one of your cards, always have it, and then get select what other card you want it to replace. That's a big deal. I don't think this would kill playing with Loris. I don't think this would kill playing with Yorian, potentially. No, but it, but it would, it would, I think it would alleviate some of the feel-bads when you try to play something else and you just feel like, like you said, not look, Yes, you're playing. You're playing Loris. You're going to get some card advantage over that, unless I figure out a way to immediately counter or do something with your Loris. But the fact that you also get Loris as a free extra card is, is a big part of that feel bad. Yeah, no, I was actually saying I don't think this would stop stop there being competitive tier one companions. Oh, sure, I agree. Right, I agree. I, I agree. It would do a lot to solve the problem of feeling really bad about companions existing. Like all these, like all these proposals, what it wouldn't do, right? What all these proposals won't do is stop the repetitive gameplay aspect, right? You still have that problem. If I am playing fires with the macro sage, if I am playing, you know, Luris or Obosh with a slew of one drops that all do the same thing, meaning pick at your life total in some form or another. I'm still not going to have variety of gameplay, but I'm going to be doing it on six cards instead of seven. Right. And I think that that's, you know, you're, you're, you'll be consistent in some sense, but inconsistent in another important sense. I'm very curious what the right land counts are, by the way, in that world. Well, so, I mean, the thing is your land count shouldn't change too much, I think, if you get to start with seven. I, what I One of the things I was surprised by on Twitter, because I was talking about this 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 morning on Twitter with people is most people thought I was being way too generous in suggesting that someone with a companion should even be allowed to draw that seventh card, right? Multiple people were like, no, your maximum hand size is reduced by one if you are playing with a companion. So you start on six and you make your mulligan decisions from six. You discard Because you six? know your seventh card already. Yeah, the, the bonus question, do you discard down to six at the end of your turn? I mean, under this under this rule, under under the way like uh, Jonas Dash on Twitter proposed it, you would right maximum hand size is reduced by one. Yes, you would discard at seven cards. Yeah, no, I have no problem with that proposal. So this is obviously a lot harsher, right? Because like yes, looking at six cards, we remember this. It's bad to right. not know. And this, and this also one. starts to change your mana base, right? Like when yeah. you're starting with six cards, it's it's going to change how you build your construct your deck. Yeah. Now I'm thinking that like there will be companion decks, but this will definitely solve the power level problem very well. So this is the this is the harsh mode. This is harsh mode, right? It's where you put your companion into your you know into your hand afterwards. So the other question is, some of these proposals have your companion going to your hand, right? Instead of being in some weird zone. And that, that way, was that's the third that's the third option is that you can thought erase a companion because it starts in your opening hand. Right. If you start with the companion in your opening hand, be funny if the rule was you just put your companion in your opening hand when you start the game and if you go second, you have nine cards. Better <laughs> back quick. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, but also then like reanimator decks would just like stomp over people <laughs> another by just putting a companion they don't even want. I will this discard is... my Garuda. <laughs> Land discard go. Yeah. Um, oops. <laughs> but 
yeah, unexpected dangers that you have to think about. Um, he has a lot of variations. Like one one funny one would be just like you start with six cards from your hand from your deck, and your companion is your seven card hand. Right. And your deck is sixty cards. It count it, maybe even counts as one of your sixty cards now, right? Because like it's going to be in your opening hand. But it's physically in your opening hand now, right? Also, so like if you if you, if you mulligan, it gets shuffled in. <laughs> uh, I so I, I I really like that. I think it's probably. Uh, probably at that point you might even want to consider just getting rid of companions. Well, right. I'm saying that you don't guaranteed to have the companion anymore, right? You're guaranteed right. to have it in your initial opening hand. But I suggest you make that hand work if you want to keep it. <laughs> wow. That's I, I actually that's kind of cool. I don't, yeah, I don't actually then, hate that. And then there's a, there's a fun question of, okay, my companion's in my deck. If I want it, let's hope it shows up. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of things you can do. I, I'm still philosophically opposed to the whole idea of I always have my card. But I don't think that's what magic's about. I want magic to have a variety of experiences. I, I'm sympathetic to the argument that magic 60 card minimum is too low. That a lot of people either, either 60 cards is too low or four copies of a card is too high. Right? right. This is something that Matt Sperling and Sam Black were talking about over the weekend on Twitter. Yeah, and both both have their, you know, both solutions have their own practical problems, right? Like shuffling this deck is substantially bigger than 60 cards starts to be a problem. In my physical experience, if you shuffle an 80-card deck, I haven't actually done it recently, because obviously. But 80 is starting to really push what most players can physically handle with sleeves in a reasonable form and still get it randomized properly. Like, you certainly wouldn't want to go above that. Right. And three of a, another question is, if you do three of a card, do you cut sales by 25%? <laughs> right? Which we don't really want to do. Right? right? We, want, we, want to make, we want to make a living. But... And I also do like the nuance of two copies versus three copies versus four copies versus one copy you get sure. from having four. Um, I also, I noticed that when I was playing um, the Eternal, is another game that has 75 card minimum instead of 60, right? As four of a card. And I noticed that it really made me feel less excited to get a new card. Right, I'd get a new card out of a, a reward in that game, because it's a digital game. Right. And I go to put it in my deck, and I just felt so much less excited emotionally than I would if I had a 60-card deck. Why, why do you think that is? Because I'm not going to drop that off. Okay. Right, I just sort of, and if I had a 40-card deck, I would be really excited, right? Like, putting a, putting a card in your draft deck is super exciting. Because you're going to draw it a lot. Right. Uh, but, again, these are things you have to you have to think about in balance. So I, I think, I mean, tell me what you think about this. I, I think a solution is to basically say companions are not legal and standard. I don't know what you're going to do in terms of the older formats. You can do them on a case by case basis, but 
what you do is you treat uh, companions the same way you would treat arch enemy or um, conspiracy or any type of ancillary product that opens up some other store-based gameplay program. So they're, so, they're, they're legal in legacy and vintage, but not modern and pioneer, I guess, right? Yeah, not modern, not pioneer, not standard. That, okay, I think that's, yeah. So I, I, I think, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then what you do is you say, hey, you know, this is standard. Standard is just, you know, all of this minus the 10 companion cards. But guess what? This, this Saturday at every game store and online and in all these other ways, we're going to do a big companion event. And so, you yeah, build so a deck with a companion and it's like, like when a bar does a bark in the park and you get to bring your dog to, you know, to the bar or whatever, or to the, to the park, you know, this is roar in the store, bring your companion and you get to play. And it's a new different metagame to play that is also maybe a good acquisition tool for getting people, giving people these kind of like rails to build their decks on. Because I think that that, to me, it feels like that was one of the goals of Companions was to give people some kind of like, you know, like boost up in terms of how you build a deck. Pretty simple. Every card in your deck has to have a activated ability. All your cards have to be odd. You know, like basically giving people a way to just sort through their cards and go, oh, okay, well, I own all these cards. Let me build a deck on a more casual level. Yeah, I'm all for letting casual players play with it when they feel like it, right? Having events, having days, having weeks even, yeah. But I think that that's very close to just modifying the companion mechanic, right? Because the, the only difference is you're actually banning these 10 cards in case someone wanted to build a Lurus or Yorian deck that ran 60 normally. Right. Uh, which is a sad thing, right? I think if somebody wanted to build one of those... Decks can, like if you want, you wanted to put one of these cards into a deck for some other reason. I want you to be able to. Um, well, I mean, I, think that that's, I guess that that's also reasonable, right? Like just saying, but you know, but not like you can do. I guess what I'm saying is you can have both, right? You can say companions no longer work the way they're intended to work in a standard environment. Let's just look at just standard for the moment, right? And just say, if you go to the game store and you build a standard deck, if it's a companion deck you know what, it better work without your companion because that's not how standard works right now. But yeah. if you show up on Sunday, we have these companion events and now you can play this much more social game. We have multiplayer setups. We have this. We have, we have two-headed giant with companions. We have all sorts of fun stuff. Let's do that, right? So you, you get to have both. Yeah, I have fun with that. I would be inclined to protect Legacy and Vintage if I could as well. But Legacy has already banned two of the ten. Yeah, I've been a little surprised actually. Um, the, early, the early heat that I saw was really around Garuda, where people were doing gross Garuda things in Legacy. So I'm a little I'm a little surprised that I guess that I guess that didn't stick. I think it was outclassed. Sure. So it gets it get this is the week for it to shine. 
Oh yeah. No, this is the time to find out if it's actually good <laughs> these next few weeks. And then we'll find out if it's the next man up to get banned. I guess as it is, but we'll see. There's definitely still going to be a ton of companions that might be seen. I still expect to see several of them. I expect to see Kahira. I expect to see Jengatha. I mean, again, like, before I see, sorry, I expect to see these other companions before I see Decks Without Companion very often. Sure. Right? It doesn't mean that I won't just see one or two companions because they're better than the others, but it's still very easy to play a lot of these companions. Right. Well, let's talk about that because that's, that's the one step, right? That's the extreme step, right? So the, the most extreme step is you ban all companions, right? What, what, what does the world look like if they decide, you know what, we're going we're gonna to lop off the most played companions that have just warped standard, right? Like we say we're going to get rid of Loris, Obosh, and Yorian, right? What happens in that world? Karuga fires is insane. Okay. And so you could you can also throw Karuga's, Karuga on that pyre then if you want. Well, I, I just I think next man up is in fact the problem, right? Like Well what but what is what is the next man up there? Okay, so now we've gotten rid of Karuga as well. So yeah. and let's face it, Lutri is not easy to use. So <laughs> um so yeah, at that point we are left with Zerda, Umari, Kahira. I mean, there's a Kahira deck that's actually pretty good. Uh, there's an Elementals based deck. It like, took yeah. a while to show up. I was actually kind of surprised it took as long as it did. Right. Yeah, I've played a, I've played a bunch of That deck is really good. I played an Umari deck today that was playing uh, the Dinosaur that reduces all of your costs by one. I've, yes, I've seen that deck. I, I've definitely played the Umori deck. I haven't played it with the dinosaur. What is it, like Marauding Raptor or something like that? Yeah, or... Marauding Raptor. So the idea is that, like, I'm going to reduce all my costs by more than one, right? Because well, yeah, you can, you, can, you, can, you can reduce your costs by up to three, right? Because you get the, the Raptor. You also get the one three, the, you know, the baby Godzilla. He wasn't, yeah, he wasn't mutating, and I think he, like, oh. I, I like the non-mutation version better. Okay. Like, it's a very simple deck, right? All it does is it uses the fact that, like, I'm going to go turn two, reduce my cost by one, turn three, reduce my cost by two. And yeah. I'm just, you know, if I, if, I, if I have a better plan, and now I'm just going to play a lot of creatures that, like, don't cost very much, and I'm going to play multiple creatures every turn. Right. The problem with that deck was his mana base was horrendously awful, and he was just losing two life every turn. <laughs> So need, I think that the mana base needed to be rethought. Like, it just, it was just super painful. So it's but, clearly the answer to companions is to print dual lands. Obviously. Wow. <laughs> now that we solved our problems. <laughs> yeah. So basically, Yorian's banned. Luris is banned. Um, Garuda. So Garuda is definitely a deck. It's just that Garuda was clearly so much worse than the other companions. Right. That it it didn't survive for very long. I think that it makes a comeback in that world and starts to get iterated on. Uh, Lutri, I'm skeptical of, but you never know. It has charms. I don't think it's good enough, though. Um, Umori, I definitely seen some Umori decks. I think you'd see a lot more Umori decks. Um, Gigantha is still the people's companion, right? The 
I'll just find a way to not play anything that violates the number 355. Um, this this incident visit now becomes a dream that people could actually use. Might be good. Uh, Kahira is the, I don't play permanence. I have a free creature or I have an elemental stack. <laughs> yes, so I was like, just going to say. Two like, you know, Kahira has played two ways, right? It's a perfectly reasonable creature to play. Or, hmm, um, although Zerda is the other version of Kahira, right? It's like, well, I, three three is better than three two. So if I'm just going to play a free creature, and I, if I can afford to play red-white, I bought Zerda. And the effect doesn't really do anything. But yeah, just wherever you draw the line, I think those decks come into play. Zerda definitely has a lot of uses. Um, one of them was in Luka. Like the first deck I built in this format was a Zerda Luka deck. And what Luka does is it lets you have, like, well, Sometimes you get to do the activation cost, cost two less, because my deck was doing a bunch of activations. But the, the main thing it is, is it's just, it's a creature source that you always have available to you. <laughs> right. So when you play Lupka, right, you can either set it up with Zerda or play Zerda afterwards if you need to, and you now you can sacrifice Zerda. And if Zerda occasionally does work other than that, great. But that already was not nothing. Say. Yeah, but at the same time, like you definitely can build some pretty some pretty dangerous, straightforward decks in standard. So you can't just mess around too much. Okay, I was trying to figure out if there was a cat deck for Kahira. I mean, obviously there's an elemental deck, but you know. It feels like there's a lot of cats and dinosaurs running around, too. And there definitely are. And I don't think they're very good, mostly. Yeah. <laughs> the elemental deck is definitely the play. Right. Well, it's also, right, it's also the deck that lets you, like, loop your Kahira around because you have a lot of ways to bring things back without even getting off of tribal. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, 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 let, so we've talked about a bunch of different things you could do. What is your preferred order of solutions here for for standard and companions? Nuke from orbit is my is my preferred solution. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. Right. I want to see the nuke from orbit. I want to see the rule changed so that either cyborgs can't be accessed with my second pick or my first pick companion mechanic doesn't work with a cyborg. Right, your companion mechanic has to exist in a format where there is a companion zone available. And that does not include standard, modern, pioneer, legacy, or vintage. <laughs> okay. But if so, you want and, to and then you can and you can just create you could create companion events to happen online or on organized play as needed to have those cards for people who really just enjoy the the deck. You know, I, I definitely heard from people on Twitter today who advocated for companions like i like them i enjoy building decks with them i i think it's an interesting puzzle right you know maybe players who are not as i don't even know what the right word is right but not as worried about winning or losing based on you know the the sort of fairness of whether or not they're starting with seven or eight cards right or maybe they're just always I'm not the one that's going to go in and tell you you aren't allowed to play softball. Right. Right? Just don't ruin my game. 
or real baseball, playing softball. That's all, right? Like there should be softball games. There should be softball leagues if people want to play softball leagues. If a store wants to hold a softball tournament, right, with companions, I don't see any reason we should tell them not to. Right. The, the companion that can just be standard have companion in it this week. If right. sometimes they want to keep it simple, that's fine. I don't mind any of it. Again, I think it's a cool thing to do for a week. It yeah. might even be net positive to do for a month. I just think it is disastrous to be doing this for months and months. Right. I think that I have had my fill of this format. Well, and All also, right. you know, also as Wizards is looking at different ways to prop up the retail side of the of the game space, right? You know, there's obviously been some discussion like, hey, you know, we're, you know, as we reemerge into normal day-to-day activities at some point at the end of this whole pandemic, you know, shelter in place, businesses closed, all this stuff, you know, whether that's a week, three months, six months from now, right? Wherever that happens, wherever you are, right? Game stores are going to be hit hard, right? Bookstores, comic stores, record stores, restaurants, bars, everyone's going to, going to take a hit. Wizards really does need those, those game stores to, you know, not just um, sell their product, but also to just create a place where you retain your customers, so they're they're very it's very important and and so Wizards has obviously gone to great lengths right they've they created you know a program where they just gave if stores ordered mystery boosters they just gave them another shipment of whatever they ordered said here hopefully this can help right creating some uh, an additional Godzilla promo card that they'll be giving away as stores reopen it's a I think a walking ballista done as Mecha Godzilla. Right, which you'll only be able to get at your local game store, doing other stuff like that. So, like, why couldn't they? Right, they say, okay, here's the companion format. It's this fun thing that people like to do. We hang out at the game store on Sunday and we we play companion standard. And you know what? They could just release two new companions through in-store play. You know, outside of a normal booster release. Right? They could say, hey, we've got two new companions now. You know, we, we're here's this thing we're doing, and mix that format up even. And so I, I think I think it would be um, I don't know, I think it would be really cool. And I think there's an opportunity for them to do something that uh, keeps people happy uh, on a more social magic level while preserving the competitive integrity of, of tournament magic. Done. I have no problem with any of that. I think that, look, the stores, you know how to help. I don't know what my local gaming store even is. I moved outside of New York City to New York. I have no idea what the local gaming store is. When the local gaming store, whatever it is, would be open, and I would feel comfortable going to it from a physical safety standpoint, then I will find out what my options are. And hopefully there's a good one. But... It doesn't mean that. I know you're about for, you're about forty minutes away from Toy Wiz. Okay, forty. I mean, by car or by yeah, by car. <laughs> yeah, that's not forty minutes for me, right? Like that's yeah. 
I'm not going to get my wife to drive me to the game store. <laughs> I'm just saying. That was the only, that was the first store I thought of in your, in your neck of the woods right now. Yeah, it, it can't be that far. Yeah. Uh, that means I don't have one. Like, if that's what it is. Uh, not the end of the world, you know, but it means that I don't get to play locally. But, you know, I, I want to have a place to play. I want people to have a place to play, and I want Wizards to support them as best they can. And if handing out cars to stores for the new companion thing lets them do that, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, as long as we understand that this is not going anywhere near our competitive play. That is my mind in the sand. Right? And I think that is how it has to be if we want things to be okay in the long run. Like, it's just, this is not something that will just go away, right? In any format where they're legal, if they're legal. They'll just be everywhere all the time. And so, we gotta choose. All right. Now, what, what's the downside? Let's just say new Chrome Orbit, right? What, what's the downside of that for stores trying to reopen or for people's, you know, faith and magic, like, do you, do you think that there's a, a real risk there if they if they do that? I mean, if people were looking forward to playing with companions and then you tell them they can't, they're not going to be happy, right? That's, that's just true, regardless of how we handle this. Uh, if we tell them the companions are going to be, like, nerfed to the point where they're not good anymore, I'm not sure how much of that effect we get and how much of that effect we get rid of, right, that we avoid. Depends on the extent of all of this. I think, but um, certainly I think that the idea of holding companion events is a very good one to make up for the problem. Right. But yeah, yeah, I, mean, sure. I think it's actually fun because I mean, standard can get even in the best standard formats can grow a little stale over time and giving people this design constraint to move their deck around or make some adjustments. Oh, I could take my cycling deck and I can make these three changes and then I can play Zerda or I can play Luris or I can do this, or I'm going to build a Kahira deck for standard for companion standard becomes something that's more exciting and more interesting and you get to mix it up. And, and I don't know. I mean, you know, I think a lot of the same appeal that people find in playing com uh, commander could be found with with companion. Yeah, I think that's right. That like, as an occasional thing, I think it's actively great, right? right? As a thing that just gets happens once in a blue moon. But I mean, I love the Magic Invitational, right? When we just came up with new rules and we played formats, and then often after three very interesting rounds. We looked at each other and we're like, we're never doing that again. That's <laughs> dumb as hell, right? But it wasn't bad for its purpose. So right? how for many it, uh, how many Magic Invitationals did you play in, Zvi? So I played in two, I believe. Okay. Um, you know, one of which I came in last. And one of which I was robbed of a finals appearance. So I ran uh. the game. Well, did you miss out on tiebreakers or something, or? 
Yes, but that's not why I was robbed. I was robbed. <laughs> the story is I was playing as Chris Pacula, and I had uh, I was playing the the Blue Green Awakening Oath of Druids deck against Mono Red in yeah. Drone Block. And he attacked with a bunch of creatures. I moved my, I had a Wall of Blossoms and a Tradewind Rider, and he had a bunch of attackers. And I moved my, my creatures in front of his creatures. And I said some set of words. I don't remember exactly what set of words they were. That was a, that's, that's one of the things under dispute, right? And I said, block. And he said, you're dead. And I said, I'm not. And he said, well, you didn't say you were blocking with your Wall of Blossoms. You know, the Wall of Blossoms is literally sitting in front of the two power creature it's blocking. Right, put it there. And like, I obviously intend to do this. There's no game reason I wouldn't do it. Right? And I wasn't, this is, a, this is an invitation that included Michael Long. Right? It had some grounds you have to be very, very careful about exactly what you said. I did not think the writing of Chris Percool was that thing. I thought I could relax. And this was the entire match. I clearly would have won the match if I did not die there, but I died. Oh. So it is agreed, right? I have him under trade when Ryder Lock. Uh, after that, if he doesn't kill me. And so he said, you didn't block. I said, yes, I did. He's like, would you agree to let Dave Price adjudicate because this is an official tournament? I said, yeah, Dave is, I know he's your friend, but he's my friend too. He's fair. And Dave's like, yeah, you didn't say block. You're dead. Like, oh, no. you're dead. And Chris Pakula made the finals instead of me because we were tied and he had better tiebreakers. And he went on oh, to win the oh. big and then I won a Pro Tour with four Bethlehem Majors in my deck. <laughs> you, combining, combining the karmic compensation for not making the finals with the karmic boost of if you are last in an invitational, you obviously win a Pro Tour afterwards. Right. Which happens several times. So right. I used both of my invitationals to get my Pro Tour win. Uh, right. and, Chris, and Chris has, Chris did eventually, like a decade or two later, Realized that he had been a giant dick and apologized, and I accepted his apology. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, no. Um, I think what happened was I finally acknowledged he belonged in the Hall of Fame and started and voted for him. And he's like, "Oh yeah, by the way, I was a giant dick. I'm sorry." <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because that was such a different time of magic, you know, where you know you you, you talked about that idea that you were you were already on. Like, you had to play Magic on high alert. Yeah. Uh, and so people drew this, like, real hard line in the sand. That, you know, I think the image of a rules lawyer comes out of, of that era very much so. Right? Like, well, you know what? I am, going to, I am going to be fully aware of all the rules of Magic. So you not just, you know, I think we're taking on almost a connotation of cheating now, like someone who's a rules lawyer, but... I think at that point it was someone who was not going to let themselves be cheated. And, and, and honestly, some of the most unpleasant magic experiences I've had playing against someone else have come from someone who felt so scarred by cheating that they were so hyper vigilant about every aspect of the game that they really removed it from being fun. And I think that that was something that existed. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about the golden age of magic, but, but I think there was there were certainly some some very serious clouds that hovered over it. Yeah, there's sort of there's the Paul Ritzel school where you're just very, very clear at all time and exactly what's going on. And you still have a great game of magic. And then there's the giant dick version of that, 
<laughs> where you're not trying to cheat and you're not even trying to gain an unfair advantage necessarily. You're just making everything annoying, right? You're not, you, you're just, you're making everybody spot exactly everything in ways that aren't helpful. And you're just totally paranoid, constantly worried that someone's trying to cheat you when nobody is trying to cheat you most of the time, right? Almost all the time. But there's also just a matter of there were people who, I'm not going to cheat you. But you know, if you don't know the rules of the game and you say it wrong, or you time it wrong, that's really not my problem. Right. Right? Like you put the counter on the whirling dervish, your turn's over. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. I had forgotten about that. Yep, because obviously it doesn't happen until the end of turn. So if you're doing that now, yep, then you're done. I'll untap my lands. That's fine. <laughs> I don't have a response. I'm okay with this. Like, <laughs> wow. We're, and we're and also just an era where whirling dervish was a, you know, fairly powerful and ever and omnipresent magic card. Yeah. Also, the the, the other we did that card was playable. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Like it wasn't it was just, just playable. Card. It, was, it was actually good. It was all over the place, right? Yeah, there was a period where it was all over the place because, like, there's a lot of black removal, and that card couldn't be removed by a lot of decks that were like counting on removal, and then they lost because that was how they dealt with permanence. And there's a two mana permanent; they couldn't deal with. So, so it happened to line up very, very well. So the the year of that invitational with Chris, what would your invitational card have been? Do you remember? Yeah, I believe that I printed a wide-ranging silver bullet as my first draft of the card. Um, I believe it was called Null Set. Um, doesn't mean that it would have stayed that way. Like they, I think they wanted us to make creatures. So I think I probably would have ended up redesigning the card. Right. Uh, but they help when people do that kind of thing. I mean, everyone was printing cards that hated out cards that didn't, people didn't want to see, right? Like, Pukula just did a very, good, a very, very good hated card, hatred card. Which right. was very different from the card he originally had in mind, by the way. Like that card went through iterations with talking to other people, talking to the designers, and so on to get where it went, which is how it should be. Right? We, get, we ended up with an amazing card for the ages. Right. It, it was, it, so I would say for a long time, it was the invitational champion in the sense of like of all the invitational cards. It was the, it's it certainly in like the big three, right? Or big four. Would you say I think Snapcaster Mage has surpassed it though? Snapcaster Mage has surpassed it. We forget how much uh Shadow Mage Infiltrator got played, also. I mean Shadow Mage Infiltrator never approached Meddling Mage or Dark Confidant or I mean, Dark Confidant just went Dark Confidant just went nuts. Yeah. yeah. And then of course the if you count commander games, Solemn Simulacrum is the most played. Of all the of all the uh, well, I, did it even count? Right, nothing really happened. <laughs> like, even if you count Commander, right, which is a highly questionable claim. Like, I'm not going to say one way or the other. I'm biased, but even if it counts, like you fixed your database. Congratulations. Very in character, right? Ramping from four to five is, is you know four to six, even on your next turn, is a big deal. 
nothing. I'm not saying nothing. I'm not actually saying nothing happened. Yeah, yeah. But it definitely feels like a, you know, God, what a dirtle. I mean, So what, uh, so talk about, you played, I know, in the uh, Mythic Invitational Qualifier or the Mythic Qualifier this past weekend. Um, what, what did you end up choosing for that uh, event, Zvi? So I started out testing Yuri and Dex and decided I just didn't want to be moving on this planet anymore if I had to keep doing that. And so I decided I was going to find a deck that beat them dead. And I ended up with a mono green uh, build of my own creation. So there's an article out about it on Cool Stuff. And it's very, very good. I do not know if it's going to become the next tier one deck alongside the others, but it, it might well be. Right? It's hard to tell how much of it is you've been playing well, flash your opponents don't know what you're doing and playing really badly. And how much of it is, no, the deck's just awesome. So, so I've been playing the deck. I've played the deck to mid-diamond. You know, without playing a, a ton. So, uh, you know, which is pretty nice. Um, the deck seems to be really... It's, it's very good against the Yorian decks, I can tell you that. I'm sure you know that as well. Oh, no, you're very, very good against the Yorian decks. The non-Luka Yorian decks, you just crunch. The Luka decks right. have a chance, but it's still a fine yeah. place to uh, what 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 did you find your matchup was like against the Luris and Obosh decks? The Luris is there's um the cycling decks and then there's the aggro decks. Against the aggro decks, Luris and Obosh your deck is very good. Um, basically, Gem Razor deals with a lot of the problems you actually have that you might lose, and you just have a lot more power. You even with them having extra card, you have a lot of power. So against Obosh, like you grind them out and you deploy yourself reasonably at least as fast as they do so you just have them coming and going for the most part but decks just aren't that good in an important sense against Lurus, sometimes they get Lurus going and it, it overwhelms you sometimes you just play a lot of very powerful things and the fact that they can replay cards doesn't matter very much and then games two and three you get to bring in removal for Lurus, and they basically need Lurus. so i found those matchups were pretty pretty good uh the cycling deck was more problematic so basically you have to put in a lot of different cards that kind of make your deck not that reliable in order to deal with the things you have to deal with. And then a lot of things can go wrong and they always have all the same cards because they're just like all the time. Right. But, but yeah, I'm still pretty comfortable. Um, I don't think there are any true nightmare matchups. I think there's some very good matchups. You know, is it the best uh, deck in standard? I mean, probably not. But you never know. So I was watching a little bit of Red Bull Untapped this past weekend, which was the other big tournament going on. And when we say big, it was thousands of players, right? I think it was right. some, something like 4,000 players in the event or something crazy. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, I watched someone get up to, uh, I think, nine wins with a different version of the same deck you're talking about, also called it Stompy, uh, obviously referencing, but played slightly more mid-range. Uh, and they had Vivian Arcbow Ranger, three copies in the main deck. But the card that actually looked really interesting to me in their, in their deck were two copies of Vivian Champion of the Wilds. And their ability to pivot to being a flash deck 
of being able to play their uh, creatures at the end of their opponent's turn with the Vivian three was uh, pretty exciting. And uh, seemed like it seemed like it. It. I mean, maybe it was maybe it was decks that you were already good against in your version, but it, it seemed uh, watching him play, he felt very comfortable playing those decks um, and at, at end of turn game. Yeah, I I have a hard time finding matchups where I feel like I turn a loss into a win by doing that. Right. Um, and in general, I've seen the I've seen Divian three a bunch of times. It always seems like, oh, you didn't do anything to kill me right now. Thank you so much. I will get right. back to winning. I will get I'll, I will turn the corner because you did that. Right? right. That happened a lot when I seen other people play it. I just never wanted to do that thing. Right. Right. Like you just. Late in the game, you want to draw your tricks. You want to be already attacking, right? Sort of, or you just need to stabilize the board and get yourself on the table fast. Or sort of the mode that you're often in. And this helps you with none of that. So I'm skeptical. Vivian 4 is a very good card. Uh, Like the good Vivian. And if my curve went that high, Flash, I felt like I got a little bit more out of the trample. Um, right. Slash the form is a little bit different. I could definitely see it. It's just sort of not what matters very often in my experience, and creates more things that can go wrong. Like you only have so many cards that aren't their base creatures, right? But yeah, your sideboard is pretty expendable for cards to go get with Vivian, and Vivian is uh, a very powerful card. So that I can understand, right? Like if you want to play less Titanic Brooks and more Vivian, it's like. Right. Well, that that was the, I think that was the key here. This version doesn't play any Surferens, uh, and doesn't play any copies of Gingerbread, right? Which I think is the big difference. They also play twenty four lands to your twenty one lands, and they're playing three copies of the Great Hand. So it's much more. I feel it's much more mid rangey than maybe your version was. Uh, but they they do play Grit Chamber Guardian, which I know is a card you've liked a lot in past standards. Yeah, here, I, I, so that I have to say, I, I can't believe that. I think that's miserable. Um, <laughs> I, I get that it's a card you can put, you can put Gem Razor on on turn three and then grow it later. I get that, I mean, although you'd probably just not do that most of the time. I get that it's a way to get additional card advantage, right? I, I, I get that there are things it does. But I just, I just don't think that it's fast enough. I think that sort of, I tried to play with Grove Chamber Guardian and just four fours just somehow managed to not be relevant as anything anyone does anymore. Right. Like, I just, there are so many games where you're spending five mana for each of these four fours, right? It's split over two turns, but it's still five mana is a lot of mana. And two mana for two two is not better. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, just, your your deck is much certainly game one, much more all in on Sir Farron. Right? Yes. Like you know, and 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 getting that like you know, there's, I, I really do enjoy those games where you get to like either on, you know, generally on turn four, but you know sometimes on turn three even just get to do something just where you leave your opponent at two or you kill them or with like a titanic growth and a giant growth or something like that. 
Yeah, I don't want to give the impression that the deck is in like serious trouble without Surfair, right? Like the deck is fine without Surfair, right? But I'm in fact, you side you side Surfair out quite a bit, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Surfairin is just bad if a two-two can't attack. I mean, just bad is push it. It's it's no longer exciting, right? It's fine. Right. Right. Like you still usually end up trading while boosting something, but you can just be better. Yeah. I mean, if Surfarin could hold a gem razor, it would be amazing. <laughs> oh my god. If Surfarin <laughs> wasn't human. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's nothing. I was playing Roachthorn Halibrid in this deck before I found Gem Razor. So I would literally have Sir Farron out and be like, I have Gem, I have a Roachthorn Halibrid. I'll put it somewhere else. <laughs> I will die. But it's still the right thing to do, right? Like, it's weird as that is. Like, it was still like a very viable card to play. It yeah. turned out you can do better. But. That's only because Gem Razor, Gem Razor is better, and it has the same problem. Yeah. So the 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 best place to put a Gem Razor is on a Stone Coil Serpent, as it turns out. Oh, that's a very good place. Uh, there's there's other good places as well, though. Um, putting it on a Barkhide Troll has been reasonably good to me often because yes, you can't kill it and it's bigger, um, and you kill something. Putting it on Ginger Brute has killed many people. Yes. And in fact, uh, you know, you talked about that idea of like sometimes you just send your Surferin in to die, but get a little boost. Um, a lot of the times that's happened for me has certainly been Gem Razor up a Ginger Brute, attack with both, make my guy unblockable, essentially unblockable, and get in for a plus six this turn with it. Yeah, there's a lot of that. There's, I also, yeah, I mean, just you pre combat Giant Grove just force a really, really ugly block somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just do any number of things, and now we have a bunch of trample. But so, what what would happen to this mono green deck if the format were to suddenly be companion free? Is this a deck that exists because of companion, or is it a a deck that would exist anyway? My guess is it it's a real deck. It it, yeah. it would be worse positioned in many ways. But it would also be just on the same number of cards as opponents. And you can't knock that. <laughs> so I would not in any way count it out in that world. All right. Okay. Well, I, I will include uh, your deck list and a link to your article in the show notes. Uh, I'll also include a link to... Uh, the other version of the deck that I was talking about. I, I don't like it as much as as uh, your deck. I, I've, uh, like I said, I've played a fair amount with your build and, and have found it to be um, really a, a nice a streamlined operation that gets the job done more often than not. Uh, and this this feels like it has some, it's a little clumsier uh, and has is trying to do a little too much of everything and doesn't specialize enough in, in doing that one thing. Yeah, I've seen so many people just be unwilling to focus on the thing you actually need to do when there are really good cards you can play instead, right? Even if they don't quite do what you want them to do. And unfortunately, you have to, you have to choose. You right. don't get to do both. 
I like, uh, I think, you know, a card that exemplifies that to me is Stone Coil Serpent. Because there are a lot of times playing this deck where you have a Stone Coil Serpent in your hand and it is just correct to trot it out there on turn one as a 1-1 one, one, because you just, your deck has a, a certain curve and a certain velocity and you're going to be doing certain things over the next couple turns and you are going to get in more damage with that card over the couple of turns before you would have played it. If you, that, if you were going to wait. That, that's assuming you don't have ulterior motives, right? If you have Sir Farron in your hand, you are thrilled you can play a one drop. Oh, absolutely. Even if, card. if you have a gem razor in your hand, you are thrilled if you have a two drop, you know, if you have a Barkai troll to play on turn two, but you right. can get the thing down on turn one and then turn into a five, five on turn three, right? With protections and tramp and, and all that. So you've got multiple reasons, which you can draw, right? That's already right. eight outs to be happy you played it, so to speak. Right. Right. Minimum. And so my general rule is if it is turn one, you need a damn good reason, a damn good reason <laughs> to not play it, to, to pass instead of flank it, right? Like, you can, you are always free to play a different one drop. Right. Right? It is usually well, I, think that's usually, I think it's usually correct if you have a ginger brute to lead with the ginger brute or lead with the pelt collector or something like that. It is 100% correct to lead a Pelt Collector or Gender Brute um, without a very, very specific matchup-oriented reason and a hand that's kind of weird. Yeah. Right? Like, if you play the 1-1 one, one Stone Coil Serpent, it's because you're playing around Deafening Clarion with your sequencing or something like that. Like, if you're playing sure. second against Luca, then you probably, if you're playing going to play Barkai Troll on turn two, say, then you know you don't want them to get two for one with their Clarion. And you say, okay, I'm just going to play this on turn one instead, especially if I have a second one in my hand. And now I have a thing to put Gem Razor on down on the table. But yeah, if you have a Gem Razor in hand, it becomes a lot more attractive to do that into a two drop, right? Because now you have, that's another scenario where you kind of might want to do it. But Gem Razor's really become the surprising card to me out of that deck. Just, just very solid without ever, without it ever interacting with something else, right? Like maybe, maybe it's just the way this deck is constructed that it has, Lots of things that come down at, you know, one and two for it to land on. But also, like, you just sometimes get great value out of it. Basically, if, if it actually hits an opposing card, it's usually just devastating. Right. Even if it's something stupid, like um, the, 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 the thing that makes an 0-4 wall. Yeah, hitting the, hitting, hitting the, hitting the, the perfect muleta. Or yeah, even the zero four is often a big game, yeah. and if you hit something real like heraldic banner, like uh -huh. the game is almost over. You hit heraldic banner, right? They wasted three mana. I think there's almost a hundred percent correlation between me on turn three, gem razoring their banner and them conceding. I haven't seen them any concessions, but doesn't mean they wouldn't have been justified. It just means they didn't. <laughs> Yeah. All right. so, well, anyway, I, I'll definitely I'll definitely include the list, both lists actually, uh, and the link to the article in, in the show notes. Um, Zvi, uh, any final last thoughts on companions or standard before we wrap up for the week? I just I think that 
the companions have to go, but we knew that. So just a matter of, you know, I think people should, people should let, let us, let us know like how this is affecting your views of how much magic you want to play and how much you're enjoying yourself. Right. That's the thing that matters most in the situation. Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We, 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 we certainly always welcome uh, hearing from you and if there's stuff you want to know uh, also feel free to just message us on Twitter uh, you know, have our both our handles in the show notes as well. Uh, always happy to address uh, people's concerns or ideas or questions uh, in a future episode. So, uh, but for now, I'm Brian David Marshall. He's been Zvi Moshowitz, Magic Gathering Hall of Famer, and this has been another episode of Top 8 Magic. Thanks for listening.